This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today's discussion is all about the military and the auto industry. You know, way back in World War II, Detroit was known as the arsenal of democracy. Franklin Roosevelt largely credited the role of Detroit in helping to win the war. Today, not so much interconnection between the military and the automotive industry, with maybe one uh, exception that we'll get into. But right now, the Army especially wants to reconnect with the automotive industry. Why? We're going to get into that right now. Because joining us for today's discussion include Brigadier General Ross Kaufman with the U.S. Army, Mark Dickens, the Chief Engineer at GM Defense, and Tammy Karnrick, he, she's the civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army for Michigan, and I want to thank you all for joining us thank today you, for this uh, discussion. Happy to be here. General, why don't I start with you? Why is the U.S. Army so much more interested in reconnecting with the automotive industry? I don't know that it's a, uh, a new desire from the Army. I think we've always wanted to include the automotive industry and really anyone that has the manufacturing capability that can produce at scale. And here in Detroit, I mean, you know better than most that we do things at scale here in Detroit, particularly in the automotive industry. And as I've come up and uh, moved to Michigan and started a, the Next Generation Combat Vehicle Cross-Functional Team, what dawned on me was just don't have the automotive industry to the degree we'd like. And so if we can get that, you know, not only uh, in wartime but in peace, then we can set the stage that if we ever really have to amp up uh, production in this country against a near-peer adversary, then we're going to have uh, those systems in place that are going to allow us to get the best equipment in the hands of our soldier in the fastest amount of time. Yeah, Mark, uh, you're with GM Defense. I dare say most people outside of General Motors have never heard of GM Defense. It, it's a relatively new unit, isn't it? Well, it, it, we stood it back up in 2017, but it's really not new. I mean, GM Defense has been involved with, uh, um, it was, I think, brought up in 1950. We were involved in World War I and World War II. Um, we went uh, through all the way into 2003 as a division of General Motors. And... Uh, we sold that division off to General Dynamics. And then in 2017, as a company, we saw that we have a lot of technologies. We, we invest like $7 billion a year in rising up technologies and getting those into production. So we, we saw the opportunity to reimagine those technologies and get those into uh, the hands of our soldiers to protect our soldiers and to protect our country. Good, and we'll get into more details on that, too. But, Tammy, I'm curious. What does a civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army for Michigan do? Um, well, actually, anything that I can do to support, one, the objectives of the Secretary of the Army, whose objectives are very clear about what we do to make sure we have a strong Army, um, that we are helping to 
give communications back to the Army about what's happening in the states around the nation, um, where there's issues that need to be addressed, and when there's opportunities. There are 120 civilian aides uh, to Secretary of the Army in the United States, and I am one of 18 females in that Corps. Um, and I, I think that my role with the Chamber of Commerce, you know, the Detroit Regional Chamber is what really helped with me being selected so I can bring that business interconnection. Yeah. General, what kind of things are you looking for from the automotive industry? So part of my portfolio, we work with robotics, which, uh, you know, the autonomy space is huge. We've got a lot of money from the auto industry going into that. It's a different problem set, right? So you have on-road on autonomy has got very strict rules. We've got lines, all stop signs look the same, stoplights, et cetera. Uh, on the modern-day battlefield, it's a little different. Uh, the terrain that you'll face uh, is put there by the enemy to stop you. And so how do you get around that? How do you map that in real time so that we can position forces into a relative place of advantage uh, to defeat our adversaries? So there's a lot in there. Um, the, there's several in the automotive industry working towards either hybrid or pure electric. And we're very interested in that so that we can reduce the logistics footprint on the battlefield. So if we don't have to refuel as often, that's less trucks on the road, we can stay in the fight longer. Uh, so there's several areas that I think we overlap, but those are two. Yeah. Mark, uh, what are you guys working on at GM Defense? Well, we've had a really uh, a great opportunity as we kind of balance between, uh, you know, kind of I have a, personally have a foot in both uh, the commercial aspect as well as the defense aspect. And there's been a recent opportunity here to... Um, apply all of this to an infantry squad vehicle, which is a, uh, a cool opportunity to take a ZR2 Colorado that we took and we developed it off-road, uh, rock climbing, you know, overlanding, and then we took it and we applied a bunch of uh, racing components to it. We raced it in the desert, we commercialized those products, and now we took the body off that race truck and we put a nine-passenger military body on it. So we've been down-selected as a... Uh, is a prototype uh, vendor for that, and we're competing in, in, with that into the, uh, the contracts that we have for, uh, going forward. But I tell you what we're seeing is that commercial aspect, that we can take commercial off-the-shelf parts. That vehicle, 70% commercial off-the-shelf parts. So we're able to take things like that and apply them into the military space. I imagine, General, one of the things you're looking for is the scale that an automaker like GM can bring, you know, that if it can reuse a lot of things that it's got in production already, that's going to drive down costs. Oh, yeah. The supply chain uh, is greatly reduced. Uh, their scale allows us to pay less for parts, right, because it costs them less. Uh, we all understand that companies need to make a profit, and no one's arguing that. Um, but... As we, if you're dealing with a corporation that does things globally and is buying, you know, millions of parts a year, well, then that that's better for your taxpayer dollars in the end. Yeah, Tammy, uh, General Motors is into it, but as you know, there's a huge automotive right. presence exactly. in the Detroit area. What's going on elsewhere? Yeah, I think that you know, GM is such a great example of a company who has been there. I mean, my first exposure was GM working with Tardec, so I knew a lot about that out in Warren. I think there's a lack of awareness, quite frankly, and that's what we're finding when we're talking to a lot of the suppliers, that there is so much of an opportunity for automotive and defense to intersect, especially when you start talking about autonomous vehicles, next generation mobility, 
technologies, innovations are being developed in both industries. It should be being shared. And that's where actually the we at the chamber, um, along with several other organizations, are going to start talking about this much louder, bringing in suppliers and other companies to start advocating you know, more awareness and then advocating for how do we do this? We could be a leader in the nation. Yeah. Mark, I'm curious how GM resuscitated GM defense. When I look at the board of directors, you've got, a, of General Motors, there are a, a number of board members with a, a lot of military industrial complex right. kind of background to them. Is that where uh, the discussion came out of to bring this back? Uh, I think it's really, I mean, Tammy hit on a good one there. I mean, TARDEC, which is now GVSC, and the futures command because a lot of the audience probably doesn't know what target. It's really the well, actually, General Kaufman probably okay. do a better job of okay. explaining that. So the Ground Vehicle System Center, now formerly known as TARDAC, is really the science and technology arm for all things vehicular in the Army. Okay, so when you talk about a new engine, a new transmission, uh, how blast affects soldiers, integrating systems onto a vehicle, that's their responsibility. It's led by just an amazing director by the name of Jeff Langout. And uh, they do a wonderful job of taking a requirement and then applying monies and effort to uh, let that come to fruition and then it eventually makes it on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. and so one of the things that uh, General Kaufman's team is really pushing forward is how do we get our requirements? You know, how do we get, how do we adjust and shape what's coming in requests from the Army? And, uh, GVSC has done a really good job at reaching out to General Motors, and you know that kind of had a lot to do with the formation of General Defense, or sorry, General Motors Defense. And I think it started a lot with uh, fuel cell. We had a fuel cell vehicle. Right. We had a chance to do silent drive, silent watch, um, and it's it's blossomed from there. We've been having a lot of discussions around battery electric. I mean, we've got a we got the largest uh, battery lab in North America. So how do we leverage those learnings and how can we help shape the future of what the requirements are for the Army? You know, I was going to just say, you know, um, seeing what I saw back years ago at TARDEC and now what I see happening with the Ground Vehicle Systems Center, it's dramatically different. In what uh, way? The, the advance of technology and innovation and the needs of um, our military and what can be done with the automotive industry. But what I don't think we've done a good enough job at, not only in automotive and defense, but what are some other types of businesses across the state that can be brought in to also supplement, that can supplement suppliers or otherwise. We haven't really done a good job as a state to do that. And I think Michigan is interested now in doing that more. So having these examples in place are excellent. And I know General Kaufman has been just fabulous about coming and saying, help me find this, help me find this. And, and that's what we're trying to do. There are a lot of opportunities, John. So what other opportunities do you see? You know, we, we've talked about autonomy and electrified and that sort of thing. And, you know, using existing commercial product to, can be repurposed or modified for military use. But independent, you know, small businesses learning that they can create a new product that there may be something that they don't know right now they can make, that if they knew there was an opportunity there, like right now I'm looking for a manufacturer of something, and there's not one out there, but there are, they're doing things similar. There's a lot of opportunity for companies to start bringing new products and probably with technology and processes they have in place, but they don't know it. How do they learn? Right. So, well, first, uh, we need to get the word out. 
and that's why we're here today. You know, we've, we've spoken publicly on and on, but really, if you're a small business, if you're a medium-sized business or even a very large business, um, the government, you know, spends your taxpayer money that could potentially be product or profit for you. And I understand, you know, when you talk GM, I mean, the scale of defense, uh, it pales in comparison to the rest of their bottom line. But as I said the other day, you know, it's still profit. And if you're not getting your profit supporting soldiers, then I think you may be misguided a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, they can ask the chamber, they can go online, uh, they can go on sam.gov, And then that lays out everything that the government wants to give you money to receive. SAM.gov? Correct. Okay. Um, And just to to piggyback on uh, the earlier question, you know, what other types of things we need help with? Prognostics, diagnostics. You know, the vehicles we have today in the Army uh, were built, you know, several years ago. the diagnostics and prognostics that allows us to understand what's going to break before it does, uh, to understand what parts need to be ordered ahead of need, it's huge. I mean, it saves us a lot of money, a lot of time, and it keeps us in the fight longer. But, I mean, look, the United States Army is like a, it's like a city. I mean, we have, we have everything that the city of Detroit has in a little, you know, smaller scale at hundreds of locations around the world. Um, you know, we have government services, we have child care, we have, uh, you know, production facilities, we have maintenance facilities, we need mechanics and welders. So it's all of those things that So it's we not have. just vehicles. There's a lot of opportunity to bid on all kinds of different work. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about the Ground Vehicle Systems Center. We should also talk about TACOM, located out in Warren, the Detroit Arsenal. Um, there is billions and billions of dollars of procurement that happens in that facility for anything that the Army needs. And a lot of that in the support-related areas does go to small business. And so there's a lack of awareness that there's opportunities for companies to get listed there. Um, And there's also another fabulous asset that was developed by the Michigan Defense Center. It's called the Bid Targeting System. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I have not. But it has every defense company in the state that would be qualified for government contracts. And so not only can it help Uh, match qualified businesses with potential DOD contracts, but it also can help them to write their RFP. We've got a lot of assets in place. The Army wants to do business with small business, and I I love that they're putting that out there. So we just have some work to do to get this going. Yeah, Yeah, we'll say every every conversation that we have, uh, it it opens our eyes to, we're sitting on technology, we're sitting on things like you mentioned, um, you know, connected ecosystems, things like OnStar, where we've had you know, 20 million users out there using it. How can we apply that to the to the army and help them look? You know, predictive maintenance, things of this nature. So, you know, it, it doesn't really strike you right away when you're really focused in the auto industry to know what these opportunities are. But the more time, the more interactions that we have in the Futures Command and GVSC and what they're doing to reach out to industry is really helpful in doing yeah, that. When you can get engineers and business owners in the same room with soldiers, the soldiers can see that technology and say, I can apply that to this on the battlefield. And so what GVSC does particularly well is has soldier innovation workshops where we bring engineers in from different companies and we sit them down and say, all right, what problems do you have on the battlefield? And the engineers say, well, I might be able to fix that. And they 
conversely, what technology do you have and how can you apply it? It's really neat. One of the, the criticisms I've heard is that trying to get a military contract involves a stack of paperwork. Are mm -hmm. you doing anything to, uh, and especially on, on your side, Tammy, how, how do you get companies where they can, whether it's go through a YouTube video that shows them how to do it or what, are, are you doing something to, to cut through all the paperwork? Absolutely. Well, the paperwork is the paperwork, right? I mean, there are rules and regulations, and we, we follow those. And um, But it can be daunting. And what we'd say uh, to anyone that's interested is, if you want government contracts, okay, go on SAM.gov, right? There's, there's assets there to help you, and if you don't feel comfortable with that, go to the chamber. And the chamber can get you in touch with whomever... Uh, is the best asset to get you to start working with the government. Yeah, Mark, it's not easy to become a supplier with General Motors, by the way, either. It's yeah. not just the Army where, you know, there's when a lot you, of rigor. When a glass house, don't throw <laughs> stones. Right? I, I will say that, you know, the, this ISV program has been very interesting for us, and, and it, it is clear that the government is really addressing the acquisition process. This OTA, Other Transaction Authority, we went, uh, when we were first discussing this, we went, I think it was 18 weeks from internally, we designed and built the vehicle. But we were quickly on contract for the prototype. And I would say it was a matter of like four or five weeks yeah. to, get the, the, to get the prototype contract. And, you know, right now we just turned in our RFP to go forward and the decision should be by June. So it's not that typical five-year process that you see. Yeah, so Congress has given us a lot of authorities, you know. So the elected officials have really done their part on acquisition reform. And those authorities are being used by the Army to speed things up because we recognize that we, you know, we don't have 10 or 20 years to develop uh, new vehicles. We, we need to move quickly. And that's definitely key for it to, to bring in commercial. But I mean, that's it, one of the other knocks I've heard on dealing with the military is you, you get all this stuff done quickly and then it goes through a procurement process, it goes through all this review and it takes forever to get stuff that's been developed into the hands of the shoulder, soldiers on the battlefield. Yeah, I think uh, when you're talking combat vehicles uh, that are going to go to foreign lands and, and really house our most precious resource, you know, America's sons and daughters. Uh, there's testing that has to take place. Uh, there's some logistics that, you know, work that needs to be done to make sure that we can support them in the field. So it is not uh, quick today, but we're continuing to try to shave off as many mm -hmm. days, weeks, months, and years as we can. I've experienced that, actually. Um, being with some other representatives of the Army in meetings, and there are regulations. There's no question that the Army has to abide by for the reasons that General Kaufman just discussed. But I've also sat in those meetings and heard those leaders say, that's not good enough. you got to bring that left. you got to bring it left. Yeah. Mark, what's been your experience? Well, I, th I think some of the things that, that the Army's done that's really helpful is, is really reaching out early with this re request for information, RFIs, and really trying to align what our capabilities are. I would say different from the automotive world where we're really designing and we're kind of guessing at what you know, our, our customer base wants and we have to spread across like the, you know, any, anywhere from carrying groceries to you know, work trucks or what have you. Clear requirements is really key and, and designing to requirements and being provided those requirements makes it a lot less expensive for us to go after these, these products. So, you know, I think there's been a lot of concerted effort put forward there and getting us involved or getting the, the commercial industry involved with setting those requirements. I think that's key to making it a lot more efficient. Yeah. 
General, I, I know I've heard you speak before on the fact that the U, whole U.S. military needs to modernize. Would you explain a little bit, and especially from your vantage point, why that's going on? Because uh, the perception, of course, is that the U.S. military is this behemoth that gets hundreds of billions of dollars every year, and a lot of people even want to cut uh, that kind of expenditure, which I completely understand. Why does the U.S. military need to modernize? Well, I, I don't understand why we want to cut the military budget, but I, it, where you stand is where you sit, I guess. Uh, bottom line is, and, the, the, uh, and I'll speak for the Army, um, the 113, for example, it was developed in the 1960s, and we have soldiers. And what's that? What's the 113? It's a personnel carrier, okay? And it's, it's been in every uh, movie that you've watched on TV, probably, that's post-World War II. Uh, it's still in the fleet today. And by 22, we're going to replace that. But it needs to be modernized. It, this is, uh, it's not drive-by-wire. The protection won't withstand a bomb. Look, when we were at war in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, and still are today, uh, a lot of our effort has gone towards that effort to defeat that enemy. Uh, while we did that, our adversaries, you know, namely Russia and China, have gone to school on how we fought Desert Storm. We've gone to school how we invaded Iraq in 2003. They've learned from us, and they've been modernizing their militaries. Mm -hmm. So we need to continue our modernization pro uh, priority. But bottom line is, it's still the best military in the world, right? But we just got to maintain pace because uh, we can't modernize to parity. We've got to modernize to overmatch. And that's, I think that's paramount in our effort. I, John, you and I talked about this the last time um, we were together, but when you talk about modernization of the Army, it's probably one of the things that has impressed me the most and got me the most excited when I first became civilian aid secretary of the Army. What individuals, a, 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 probably a good portion of our population doesn't realize is the Army is like a major corporation. And major corporations are always looking at ways to improve their processes and streamline, to save resources, to do give better quality. That's exactly what the Army's doing right now. The ultimate goal, obviously, is our soldiers and protecting them, um, having strength and lethality. But they are actually looking at it as a business. And that is such an impressive thing that I just, I have to add that because it is taking it to another level to say we're not just military, we are a business and we owe it to people to run like one. Yeah, Mark, do you see that kind of attitude? Yeah, it's really interesting because last, I think it was two weeks ago, it was at JLTV um, Industry Days yeah. and part of the requirements was around the quality control in the manufacturing process and there was a lot of mentions of automotive processes. And I will tell you, it was, it was very intimidating to see those being applied back to us. You know, we usually do that to our suppliers. But the reality of it is um, the raising the bar and saying, hey, you know, we're, we, like, you, like you mentioned, Tammy, it's like running a business and we're going to only accept the best. So, I mean, as a taxpayer, I was really happy to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Out at JCOM, you have program executive officers who probably manage budgets larger than a corporation CEO. So, uh, Mark. You've, you've got this vehicle that you know you're you're putting up. I, I'm assuming you got a couple of competitors that you got to right. be out to be able to get it. What are you looking at beyond that? Well, that's the nice thing is that it's the platform, right? I mean, if you think about where we can take it, it's just like our automotive products. You know, we have well, you know hybrid drives, electric drives, um, adding fuel cells. The other part of it, you know, one of the things that we have 
that we're really proud of is we have like electric power steering so we and ABS. So now all those technologies that you get to enjoy if you're driving a CT6, you know, with Super Cruise and all that, all those technologies we have the chance to apply to it. So the, the, the platform's there. I think the ability and the enablers are there to take it and continue to grow it over the years. Mm -hmm. We don't want our, our soldiers going into battle and anything less than they drive when they're off duty. Right, so I mean, of all the all the things that you have on your vehicle, um, you know, from a backup camera to uh, you know the autonomy packages that we're putting on them now, we're, we're trying to get those in the hands of our soldiers so they can fight and not have to worry about those things on the battlefield. You know, it's interesting. You you, you keep bringing up electrification, fuel cells, batteries. There's some question as to how fast that will be adopted in among civilians. Sounds like the Army might be a way of bringing this technology forward faster. Yeah, I, I don't know what the automotive industry would say. I think that they're, they're pushing hard on it and, and hoping that that moves faster in the civilian world. But what I'd tell you is, if we can get a hybrid uh, engine that can propel us across the battlefield and reduce our logistic footprint, the Army's all in. Tammy, uh, you, you've talked about getting more suppliers, more of a the auto industry based in, in Southeast Michigan. Are there specific areas that you're trying to push them into or just saying, hey, come on and take a look and see what you no, can do? I think step one is awareness. And what it is is to bring the automotive suppliers as well as defense suppliers together so they both can hear from each other about where opportunities. We need to heighten the awareness first for both sides. In fact, I think we can even include aerospace. So you could be looking at all three industries. It's going to start with awareness but then it's going to have to also then go from there to say, how do we do a better job to help them now cross over and intersect in their industries and learn about what the opportunities are for them? Yeah, Mark, are, are you able to connect with some of these military suppliers and learn things from them, or how's that yes, going? Yes, I mean, when we look at what our strategy is going forward, I mean, obviously, integrated vehicles is our forte, but we also have power and propulsion. We also have cybersecurity. We also have the mobility aspect. Right. Well, those aren't prime contract. Those are partnering with other people, other defense contractors. So yes, we, we look both directions. And that's, you know, that's a little bit of an eye-opener for a large automotive company to say, hey, how do I, do I partner? Do I actually supply to somebody else? I mean, so it is a different look at it. I, you know, I, I think it's really kind of gotten us really uh, spending the last year focusing on strategy and where we can apply all this technology and investment that we've made. Yeah, well, look, we're going to have to wrap this up. I'm going to have to have you guys back in another year or so to do an assessment. How's it all going? Right. But I want to thank you all. Brigadier General Ross Kaufman from the U.S. Army. Uh, Mark Dickens, Chief Engineer at GM Defense. Tammy Conricki, Civilian Aide to the Secretary of the Army for Michigan. Phew, I got that out. Thank you all for participating today. Thank you, Jack. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, Audit, Tax and Consulting for the Middle Market.